Well, man, it is so good to be with all of you here on this fantastic day. One more time, can we give it up for all of our moms? Happy Mother's Day. You know, what's really interesting is that Mental Health Awareness Month and Mother's Day coincide. And every mother goes, you have no idea. You have no idea the mental health needs I've had with my children or with maybe more importantly, my husband. Can I get an amen, ladies? Oh, yes, with great joy, they said that, with great joy. Hey, if we've not had a chance to meet, my name is Merle, a service lead pastor here. For all of you who are uh, guests that are with us, friends, for the very first time, thank you for making the decision to, to either allow somebody to drag you here or to uh, come on your own. Whether you're here in the building, in the chapel, or online, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, our joy, more than anything else, would be to introduce you to Jesus who uh, has been in the process of unleashing his transforming influence and power in our lives, and we'd love for you to experience that as well. If we can help you, uh, we want to do so. We've got friends that will be at the very back of the worship center. They're in the chapel. You can talk to them after the service is over with. You have a communication card that you can fill out and place that in the offering boxes when you leave or take it back to our tables in the back. Or if you're in the chapel, simply talk to one of the pastors that are there. And online, if you'll go to pleasantvalley.org slash info, you can fill out a card there, a form there, and then we will reach back out to you and serve you however we can. Again, this is Mental Health Awareness Month. We we let you know last week that we've got a website, we've got a page on our website that you can go to and find information about all things care-related, and just want to highlight that one care-related need that most all of us have had at one point in time in our life is the need for someone to come alongside of us when we are experiencing the pains of loss, and we've got a great ministry called Grief Share. And we, we could give testimony from folks in our congregation and actually outside of our congregation who have benefited from this Christ-centered, hope-filled grief uh, process. Next one starting up on May the 18th. If we could help you get plugged into that, we would love, we'd love to do that. That would be a great thing to do. So today we're wrapping up a series we've been in since uh, a little bit before Easter. It's called Hope Lives. And we spent some time talking about what hope is. And we've talked about how hope is, is connected to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've talked about how there is hope for all of us if we have failed in life and all of us have failed at some point in time. There's hope for those of us who are on the backside of failure and there's hope for those of us who are, have experiencing discouragement and despair and depression, those of us who need some hope to help us get through those difficult days. We're going to wrap up today, and we're going to talk about really a singular focus of hope. We said at the very beginning, hope is an expectation that is both possible and desired, but the question remains is who or what you are hoping in able to give you what you hope for, what you desire, what you expect. For a follower of Jesus Christ, we say 
the focus of our hope is critically important. It's not just, hey, we have a generalized hope. No, we have a hope that is the hope of our soul, which is a soul hope. We have a specific hope. We hope in God alone. Amen? And we're not the only ones who have done this. As a matter of fact, we are, we are on the uh, benefactory, uh, benef- uh, what word am I trying to say? Y'all help me. We have benefited from, easy for you to say, right? Every now and then I sound just like Porky Pig, don't I? Just cannot get the words out of my mouth, and they're really simple words too. So let me try this again without losing you. We have been the beneficiaries of, we have benefited from the stories of men and women of faith and hope who have passed down through the generations their own story of hope. Last week, we looked at a psalm, and we're going to look at another one today. And we said that psalms are basically songs. And last week, we looked at a song of the blues, a lament psalm in the book of Psalms. Today, we're going to look at what is characterized as a psalm or a song of confidence and hope, a song of trust. And you'll see that it is all about where our hope is placed. And if you wanted to write down what we're going to talk about, I'm just going to talk about our soul hope. And we're going to look at Psalm 62, verses 1 through 12. I am at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will never be shaken. How long will you threaten a man? Will all of you attack as if he were a leaning wall or a tottering fence? They only plan to bring him down from his high position. They take pleasure in lying. They bless with their mouths, but they curse inwardly. Rest in God alone, my soul, for my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. My salvation and glory depend on God, my strong rock. My refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. Common people are only a vapor. Important people, an illusion. Together on the scale, they weigh less than a vapor. Place no trust in oppression or false hope in robbery. If wealth increases, don't set your heart on it. God has spoken once. I've heard this twice. Strength belongs to God, and faithful love belongs to you, Lord, for you repay each according to his works. So I want this to be incredibly practical, and I can't think of a better message for our moms as well, because our moms have lived most all of their lives on a hope and a prayer. And so let's talk a little bit about our soul hope and what hope does. So if you're taking notes, here we are. Hope arises in times of challenge. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, duh, Merle, isn't that the only time that hope arises? And, and yeah, we typically don't think about hope and we don't feel hope and we, we aren't really like focused on it when everything is going well, when things are up and to the right. We don't think about what it's like to have to activate hope. But when life throws you a curveball, 
when life comes at you in a way that you did not expect, when life is tough, we have confident assurance as the people of God, as Jesus' people, that God will, in his time and in his way, usher in a better day, a day that is marked by his faithfulness, a day that is marked by confident assurance in his trustworthiness. And so, what's David doing here? David is reflecting on some things that are challenging him. And do you know what was challenging David? Look around the room for just a minute, wherever you are. Look around the room. Go ahead, swivel your heads. Do you know what was challenging David? People. I mean, I love humanity, but it's like people I can't stand. Isn't that the way some of us feel from time to time? I mean, I love humanity in general, but I've got to work with people. And they just drive me absolutely crazy. Now, not the people I work with. People I work with, they're saints. They levitate when they walk in the building. They glow with holiness. That's right in my mind, in my mind. People, if you think about it, people are our greatest sense of joy, aren't they? But at the same time, people can be our greatest sense of pain. And that's what's going on with David here. Look again at verse three through four. How long will you threaten a man? He's got his critics. He's got enemies. How long, God? How long are these people just gonna keep coming at me? Will all of you attack as if he were a leaning wall or a tottering fence? They only plan to bring him down from his high position. They take pleasure in lying. They bless with their mouths, but curse inwardly? This sounds incredibly relevant, doesn't it? It sounds like what some of you have told me your workplace is like. You've talked to me about the politics of your workplace. You've talked about a culture where you work where it is just like backbiting and people smile at you with their face, but they stab you in the back. David is saying, I've got individuals that are attacking me, and they're telling me I'm weak. When they look at me and they go, listen, you're like a fence that's getting ready to fall over. Like there's a fence over here on 96th Street, Hills of Montclair. It's a steel fence and it's like leaning like this. And he's going, people are saying that as me. I'm like a fence that's about ready to fall down. I'm like a rock wall that's just about ready to tumble over. These individuals traffic in put downs. They specialize in lies and deception. They say one thing to your face and another thing when you are not there. I read this. Evil being ruthlessly competitive is attracted to weakness, to give a last push to whatever is leaning or whatever is tottering. It also is attracted to strength the target of envy, wanting to take down those who are doing well. And David is saying, in the midst of this kind of challenge, what I'm not going to do is focus all of my attention on what people have said about me. Instead, I'm going to focus my attention on God alone, who is my strength. People will not have the last word in your life. God has the last word. 
He's the one that you can trust in. He's the one that you hope in. People put you down, that's okay. God looks at you and he says, you are a beloved child of mine. People want to rob you of your dignity by telling you what you can't do. God looks at you and he says, you are a piece of poetry, a masterpiece of my hands. And so we put our hope in God. We allow hope to arise in the midst of our challenges. And then... Hope not only arises in our challenges, but hope knows how to rest in God. And I thought about this text, and I thought, is there a better prayer for a mom? Give us some rest, right? I think about working moms who have small children at home as well, and I just think about the constant work that they are experiencing, and it's like there's no rest. Twice in this psalm, David talks about resting in God. On the one hand, he is like making a declaration, this is what I know, and then another time, he's talking to himself. Let's read this out loud together. This is verse 1 and verse 5. I am at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. Rest in God alone, my soul, for my hope comes from him. Twice, he's saying, let me remind myself that hope knows how to rest in God alone. And you notice the second time he's telling himself that. Last week, we talked about the importance of not just listening to ourselves, but speaking to ourselves. Oftentimes, what we do is, in the midst of challenges, we listen to all of these things that we are saying about ourselves instead of speaking truth to ourselves. We said this last week, Martin Lloyd-Jones, I want to repeat it. Most of our unhappiness in life is due to the fact that we are listening to ourselves instead of talking to ourselves. David is saying here, rest, rest in God alone, my soul. My hope comes from him. Now, the word rest, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about rest, but rest carries with it the idea of waiting silently for God. In the midst of challenges, wait silently on God. Now, this is what I think most of us as Christians think about when we think about rest. We, we we put a spiritual spin on it, and we think about, well, rest is what I do when I get up in the morning, and I make a cup of coffee, and I grab my Bible, and I go to my favorite chair and sit in the morning sunshine, and I am resting in the Lord in my devotion, where everything is tranquil and everything is peaceful. But that's not the idea of resting here. The image is more like this. A tornado has just come through and torn up everything you see like it did in Andover, Kansas, what this is a picture of with F3 tornadic force. And there you are, standing in the street, looking at what used to be your home, and you are overwhelmed with the destruction, and you look up in that moment and you say, God, I rest in you. You are my hope alone. In the midst of challenge, in the midst of everything coming undone, it's saying, I will wait 
silently on God to come through in my life. David's words about rest remind me of some words that Jesus spoke to people who were experiencing all of the burden of trying to live up to man-made religion and rituals and rules. And Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 11. Again, this is so good. I love it when we read it out loud. When we read it out loud, I think it can have more impact on us. So let's read this out loud together. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus wants us to know in the midst of whatever it is that we are challenged by that we can wait silently on God to come through in his time and in his way. Now this is what happens when Life is challenging for me. When I come across a difficult experience, my tendency is not to slow down, but to speed up. Are any of you like me? I mean, something is challenging, and then I start like hair on fire. I need to do something about this. The word rest means something like this, pause for further instructions. But what I'm doing is I'm like, Oh, I got I to gotta do something. And when it says to rest, it's not saying just be passive. It, rather, it means slow down and listen. Listen for God's directive. Sometimes God is silent for a season, but his silence has a purpose. He knows the perfect time. He knows the perfect word and until that moment when he gives that to us, he wants us to pause for further instructions. He wants us to wait in silence and in trust. Instead of frantically looking for solutions, and this is what happens to me, oftentimes I'm looking for the quickest solution I can to get out of whatever it is I'm in. Am I just talking to myself, or does this relate to you? Can you, are you? Are you feeling what I'm laying down here? You, you know what it's like to, you want a quick solution to whatever it is, and what the Bible wants us to do instead is what the Apostle Paul says, be anxious for nothing and pray to the Lord. God is the one who will offer us peace. So rather than amping it up, let's slow it down, pause with patience, rest in God alone. And let me ask you this, when you're resting in God alone, can you go wrong? If you're resting in God alone, is that a wrong decision to make? No. Hope arises in the midst of challenges. Hope knows how to rest in God, and hope is built with personal trust. It's built with personal trust. 
Now, you've heard me say this before about America in general. America in general believes in God. Now, who the God is that Americans say they believe in, now that's up for debate because I dare say that the general belief is not the belief of the God who has revealed himself and as Father, Son, and Spirit, the God who has ultimately revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. I would say this, I believe the majority of people that are listening to me right now believe in the God of the Bible. You have a belief in him, but the question that remains to be answered is, is your belief personal? I mean, it's one thing to have a general acknowledgement. I acknowledge that God exists, but it's quite another thing to go, I don't have a belief just in the God. The God is my God. It's personal for me. Look at all the ways that David emphasizes the personal nature here. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will never be shaken. He alone is my rock and my salvation and my stronghold, my salvation and glory, my strong rock, my refuge. So it isn't just, I've got a general belief that there's a God out there somewhere that I can put my hope in. Generally speaking, he's saying, no, I believe that there is a God who is my God. It is personal for me. It is transformative in my own life. My story was this. I was raised in the church. Now, I was pretty much a hellion in my teenage years, but there was never a time that I would have told you, I don't believe in God. I believed in God, but my belief was something like this. God is way up there. God is distant. God cannot be approached. God really doesn't care about all the minuscule things of my life. He is a transcendent God. And it wasn't until through my own journey that God opened my eyes to see that he is not only transcendent, but he is imminent. Jesus Christ is God up close and personal. He is the God that is by my side. He is the God who died to save me from my sin. And whenever I made the connection to not just have a belief in the God, but to believe that he is my God, transformation began to take place in my life, and it continues to take place. My question for you is this. Is your hope in a personal God? Because where you place your hope is critically important as to whether or not what you hope for could ever be delivered. Did you notice not only the personal nature of his trust, but did you notice the language of this personal God that David believes in? Did you notice the words rock, stronghold, refuge? Now, think with me a little bit about how the people in ancient times would have thought about a rock. We know that the ancient people in particular would have viewed a rock as being something that was immovable. When they heard the rock, they probably thought about massive boulders or they thought about towering rock formations they had seen on their travels in the wilderness. Those rocks didn't move. 
They didn't have the benefit of having bulldozers. They didn't have dynamite to blow rocks up into bits. So when they encountered a rock, the thing that they thought is, you got to get around this thing because you can't go through this thing. And if you're digging and you strike a rock ledge, what you do is you build your house on that rock ledge because it is immovable. Rocks didn't roll. Rocks didn't change. And why would that be important? Well, again, think about the challenges that we face in life. If your hope is based upon someone who is stable, someone who is true over time, someone whose word you can believe in, doesn't that cause hope to to grow? Doesn't that cause hope to have a bit more, a bit more faith to it? If you know that there is a great track record in a world of constant and rapid change, what I'm grateful for is that we have a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. Now, that doesn't mean that God isn't relevant. It does mean that you can count on his character to be faithful. It does mean that you can count on his word to always be true. This morning, when I got up early, my neighbor right next door to me, right next door to my office, he has a flag. And it was windy this morning, and you could hear the flag just flapping. God is not a flag in the wind of change. He doesn't flap here and flap there. Wind has to move around a rock and God is that kind of stabilizing force in our life. Another image I think about is I think about this. I think about a, a massive lighthouse that is continually barraged and pummeled by the waves, but it doesn't move. It stands up against the waves. Hope that is a personal trust, knows from experience that God stands up and stands against all of the things that would seek to destroy your life, to destroy your character, to destroy your sense of hope. We trust in God alone. And David says, listen, let me show you a comparison. God is my rock. God is my salvation. God is my stronghold. God is my refuge. He is stable. He is not like the transitory and powerless people in things. He said this in verse 9 and 10, common people are only a vapor, important people an illusion. Okay, contrast that for a minute. He has just said God is a rock, God's a refuge, God's a stronghold, God's my salvation. I put my hope in him alone. I'm not going to put my hope in people that are only a vapor and the elites who are only an illusion. Together on a scale, they weigh less than a vapor. I mean, you can't get less than nothing in terms of weightiness, he's saying. And don't put any trust in, in false riches. Don't set your heart on wealth. If we trust in God alone, if we trust in God alone, if our hope is in God alone, we will not ultimately put our hope in anything else because everything else in one form or fashion will eventually disappoint us. But God will not disappoint us 
and the truthfulness he has to his own character and his own will and his own way. We don't either put our trust in people. We don't put our trust in any kind of ism as being what is going to bring about a better world, whether it's capitalism, socialism, or any other kind of ism. It's not going to bring ultimate hope to the world. Although I'm full-on capitalist, I know that that's not the ultimate answer. There's no political party that will ultimately satisfy. You can't put all of your hope in one political party because it's made up of flawed people. You put your hope in the God who is not flawed, who will always tell us the truth, who will always do what is right. We don't trust in our career paths because even if they're respectable or otherwise, because they cannot ultimately fulfill us, it's one thing to go, God is the one who has provided me the means to live. God is the one who blesses our life with whatever wealth we have. And we are grateful for how he has blessed our lives, but our ultimate hope is not placed in wealth. So this is what happens. Whenever, whenever we are challenged in life, our soul starts talking to us. It starts chattering. And it sometimes says something like this, well, you've got to have this in order to make it. You've got to have that or life is not going to keep going on the way that you want it. This must happen or all is lost. And the assumption that is coming to us is God isn't able to handle my life by himself. We need some other circumstance, some other condition or possession to make us secure and to make us ultimately happy. David learned something different and he talked to his own soul and he basically was telling his soul this, you only need one thing to survive and thrive, and you have it. It is God alone. He is a powerful, fatherly, loving, and caring God. Everything else is expendable. And when this realization gets clear to you, you will never be shaken. You'll never be shaken. Let me draw this to a close. Hope also listens to God. Hope listens to God. Or you could say hope is listens to God. It's what I put in my notes, and we've got a faithful crew that just put it in there. It's been a good day for me, hasn't it, folks? Been a really, really good day. <laughs> I put my hope in God alone, not even in my own ability to spell or do grammar or speak. Listen, there are a lot of voices, right? There are a lot of voices out there wanting us to listen to them. 24-7, you can get something or someone to talk to you. The glut of information that we are overwhelmed with is absolutely mind-boggling. If you were to have been able to go back, say, 150 years and tell people back then what it is that we have now, it would just like explode their minds. They, there's no way they could ever have believed that you could get all the information that we can get right now in an instant. And what that means is that we're often confused. What voice do we listen to? Whose voice is important? It's important who you listen to because not every voice is true, even though it's on the interwebs. Okay, 
Just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's true. I feel the need to say that often because of all of the stuff that's out there, and it's like, that is just bogus stuff. Why would you believe that? Just because somebody wrote it and they sound important. David concludes the psalm by reporting two truths about God, two truths that God says about himself. And if there's anything important to listen to, it's important to listen to God. It says this in verse 11 and 12, God has spoken once, I've heard this twice. It's a poetic way of saying, listen, pay attention to this. Strength belongs to God, and faithful love belongs to you, Lord, for you repay each according to his works. Why should we listen to God among all of the voices trying to get our attention? David says, for this reason, God is powerful and God is loving. All power belongs to God. All power belongs to God. Any power that anybody has is simply on loan, but all power belongs to God. He is sustaining the entire world and universe right now. If God had the ability to not think about you in an instant, you wouldn't exist, but God is thinking about you. He's sustaining everything. All power belongs to him, and because all power belongs to him, we place our hope in him because he can be trusted. Faithful love belongs to God. He is a God of mercy. He is a promise keeper God who always keeps his covenant. And because he's all powerful and because he's all merciful, he will be the one we stand before one day to receive our just desserts, our just reward. He is the one who will, in love and in mercy, be the one to whom we give an account. As a follower of Jesus, I don't have to fear the day of judgment because Jesus Christ on the cross assumed the judgment for all of my sin. And God was satisfied with the death of Jesus Christ. God raised him from the dead to verify that God is the one who forgives and God is the one who gives life. Therefore, I can forever trust in God's wisdom, and put my hope in God in life's circumstances when I see the lengths to which he has gone in order to make me right with himself. Why would I want to put my hope in anything or anyone else? So here are my questions. Who or what are you listening to? And what kind of influence are you allowing it or him or her to have on your life? Are you at rest? Do you need to cease from your striving and know that God is God and God is the God that you can put your hope in alone? Do you have a personal trust in God? Have you come to the point of saying that you believe in Jesus in a way that is personal and transformative? I want to do this. I just want to simply make an invitation. If you've not put your trust in Christ, why not do that today? And it really is as simple as you just saying, Jesus, I entrust my life to you. My life 
apart from you, would be separated from God forever. I believe that you're my hope. I believe that you're the bridge that spans the gap between me and God. Today on this day, I repent of my sin, and I trust all that I know about myself to all that I know of you. Would you save me? Would you make me brand new? Would you give me life with God? And the Bible says, if you're willing to call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved, and saved people will not be disappointed. Do that today, and then let us know. Make a confession before men so that we can help you take your next journey. You can do that online. You can do that here in the worship center. You can do it in the chapel. Come and talk to us as soon as the service is over with. I'm going to invite us to do this right now. I'm going to invite all of the women in the building here in the worship center to come to the front and all the women in the chapel. If you'll simply go to the front of the chapel, I want to lead in a time of prayer for you. So all the women, please come down here right now. And as they are coming down, would you join me in thanking God for the women of our church? Keep on coming. And men, I would suggest that uh, you stand, okay, in honor of them. Keep on coming. Go ahead and fill in around here. Come on in. We got plenty of space up here. I don't know about the men in the building, but I just got like chills. And it isn't because I'm afraid of all of you, <laughs> although I should be, right? I should be. So this is, a, this is kind of a tradition that we have been doing for a number of years on Mother's Day. And uh, it's just our way of wanting to affirm you. And I just happen to get the privilege that I'm sure a lot of men would like to have right now. And uh, if, you're a, if you're a girl, uh, you need to come out as well. This is all of you. I see some of you girls standing there. Come on out. I want you to get in on the blessing. Come on. Come on now. There we go. Yes. So this is what I would like to say to each of you. In the beginning, when God created humanity, he created male and female in his image. And I don't know what you think about when you look in the mirror, but I have a sneaking suspicion that some of you, when you look in the mirror, you do not see the image of God. All that you see is everything that media has tried to say that you need to add to you in order to be all that you are. And I want to say this to you. When God looks at you, he smiles. And he says, this is my beloved daughter whom I love and whom I am well pleased. And it doesn't have anything to do with your performance as a woman. It has everything to do with God's heart towards you. And what I hope that you would be able to feel in this church is that the men of this church have great respect for you. You are in no way second class at all. Is that right, men? 
want to make sure that men say that. You possess a strength that is, I think, uh, in many ways, stronger than what men have, because it's your strength, it's your uniqueness, and we are so grateful for you. And my hope and my prayer is this, that you would never sell yourself short, because God does not. He does not at all. I hope that you would hold your head high and say, I am a child, a beloved daughter of the Most High God, and he loves me. And he values me, and he respects me, and he has empowered me with important work to do in this life that nobody else can do except me, except you. So what I want to do is I just want to pray over you. And so let's pray together. And what I'd like for you to do is I'd like you to turn and face the men of the congregation right now. And men, I'd like you to hold out your hands in agreement with my prayer for our sisters here. Lord, you walk beside these daughters of yours every moment of every day. You know each of them by name. You see each joy. You see each sorrow. You created within them a gentle capacity to love and to nurture. You've given them the large responsibility of carrying and caring for new life. Please give them understanding and patience in a troubled world. Release them to run and dance and sing and create. Grant them sharp minds that are able to solve problems and see possibilities. You desire that each of them Live life to the full, embracing your love for them and extending grace to others. You gave your life so they could walk free to build your kingdom on earth as in heaven. May they lay their lives before you and trust in your unfailing love. God, would you heal them of their secret wounds? Would you guide them along your preferred path for them? Would you affirm them? Would you love them? Would you lead them to reflect more and more your life within their own? And we pray this in the name of Jesus. All the men said, would you join me one more time in celebrating our sisters? God bless you guys.